1: Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the -the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish.
2: Hi, yes, I'm your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here with our cast from the Everyday Mindfulness Show. This week's cast includes Jen Gasales, Dr. Jen Gasales, and Allison Murano. And if you're thinking, hey, how do I learn about them, Mike? Check check them both out on our website. You can find out all about our cast on our website at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. There'll be links to them. If you look at the show notes, it will give you a little bio on them, and you can connect directly to them. This week we're talking about mindfulness and politics and it reminded me of this quote by FDR and the quote is, human kindness has never weakened the stamina or softened the fiber of a free people. A nation does not have to be cruel to be tough. And Once again, that was FDR and so I'm going to start with you, Jen. What does that make you feel of currently with today's environment?
3: Oh, I love that quote. I love knowing about that quote now because I feel like this is something I've been kind of, you know, ethically battling in myself and and in my conversations with others recently because I feel like when I've had some conversations so I, you know I I I use mindfulness and compassion at the core of all of my work and I've gotten pushback from folks saying who I think the belief being that if we are compassionate to other people or their views who are not compassionate back to us or who aren't practicing empathy back to us, that it's a loss of power or personal power for ourselves. And I believe that it's actually a way of gaining strength because when we access empathy and compassion, we're not just laying back. We're not just surrendering and giving up. We're not condoning what people are doing, but we're seeing them as fellow humans deserving of respect or at least acknowledgement as a fellow human who wants to be happy and free from suffering, just like me. And when we can access that place of, I'm going to say it's courage in us, it's courage to be able to go to that place and not just the angry or the black and white place, but to be able to stay in an open hearted space requires so much mindfulness and presence and looking at our own crap and sitting with the discomfort of it and not just automatically making others wrong.
2: Well, and I love what you said there about sitting in your own crap, uh, and so, so for people listening right, what do you mean? What what what's the crap you're referring to there?
3: Oh well, I mean, there's so much. There's so many, say, emotions going on around uh, in our political climate and the election for so many people, and there's anger and there's fear and there's you know embarrassment and disappointment and sadness and just so many really really heavy emotions. And often when those types of things come up we don't want to sit with them because they're so uncomfortable. So whatever pattern we have to lash out or to to shut down or to numb ourselves, but in this case of the FDR quote of you know being cruel or of not being kind to others, that's a place to go so that we could feel powerful again and not feel just icky sitting with our crap. But you know, true empowerment, long-term power and empowerment, I believe comes from, you know, having the willingness to shine a bright light on all of that discomfort. And then making, in, you know, choices that feel integrity with our values and who we want to be in this world from that place, instead of just a reactive place. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. And so, when you say that, and you know, we're using the word "crap," it sounds like what you're describing is <laughs> is the drama, the drama of the emotional hurt people are feeling or stress. Yeah. Or judgment or annoyance because yeah. it very much depends on where you're coming from. Yeah, frustration yeah. with the other side, annoyance with the other side. There's this other side concept, right? The yeah. us versus them, and that's what I loved about the FDR quote, which was this idea that I think everybody right now thinks they have to be tougher than the other side. Mm. Like I have to, we have to win this battle, and so it's about toughness versus. Wait, can I be tough or can I believe? in what I stand for and be compassionate towards others and understand them. That seems to be what's not congruent right now, that that's one or the other. It's an and, yeah. or, you know, it's, it's either win, lose. It's not, what about both? What about, I want to fight for what I stand in and understand those who believe differently than me. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It doesn't have to be an either or. And so when you hear that, when, when you're sitting there, Allison, and you're hearing that, what's your reaction
0: well, I want to, it's, it's interesting that you brought up a quote by, that particular quote by FDR right now, especially on this uh, way we're talking about mindful politics as the topic. And I believe that he probably used that as a talking point during the formation of the New Deal, which is very timely right now because we're actually, we're looking at a reconfigurement possibly of the New Deal that he is the author of. And part of the reason that we're going through a lot of the turmoil that people have that Jennifer was talking about is probably because there isn't that empathy right now. And I love the word empathy because that's very, very important, especially when we're talking about these, these pieces of the deal, which are, was the actual social security net and the safety net that was created to help all Americans in a time of trouble. And what we're looking at is, is kind of not remembering where we were when that was created. And it came out of probably you know, like I said, I think FDR most likely used that quote when he was trying to talk to the American people about empathy and about help mm-hmm. and about understanding where the other person is that needs our help, which is why we all put into this pot of, of money, if you want to call it taxes, I know that's a word that always gets to people. But at the same time, it, it served a purpose and the purpose was to be kind to everybody and to help everybody in trouble. And that's really where all of this came from. So if the, we're going to talk about politics, that's something to be very mindful of because it is all in jeopardy right now in one form or another. So if you stop and really talk to people about understanding that we need this and that he was coming from a place where we were at a bad time, we don't want to go back there. But that was the probably the the building blocks of him talking about creating the very the very laws that we're talking about changing right now in a very drastic way.
2: Well that's interesting because I know some people would hear that and say, hold on, I'm completely leading with empathy if I'm somebody who wants those laws changed. I'm having empathy and love and compassion for my fellow citizens and I want to protect the country. And I want to make sure we're taking care of each other. And this is absolutely based on love and compassion. So for the person sitting there saying, hey, is it possible that I'm hearing that and saying that if I believe what I believe, I've been judged that I'm not being compassionate and empathy because I might want to change the way things have been.
0: What I ask for that is that you are looking at what the changes are. And I'm not saying that every change is wrong. I'm just uh, referring back to the quote of where he probably said to really think critically about why these are here in the first place and do your homework about, you know, and really just go and look at the at the where we stand now and find out whether the laws do need to be changed or not. And if they do, let's do it in an empathetic way. And I know that most people do understand there's a safety net and most people do want to have that when they're ready for it. So when we're, we're all fl- flying back and forth with, th- with what you were talking about, feeling as though each of us are accusing the other of not being empathetic or not understanding, that we look back at the fact that maybe not everything we're hearing will turn out the way we think it will, and that there are things that are not broken and need to be fixed, and there are things that should be fixed, but I always believe that what happens when we're trying to fix things is you kind of open it all up and just kind of change it completely where it doesn't necessarily need to be changed. Mm. So, so look at everything, which is, and, and think about how something that you may change on this side may affect somebody on that side and where you might be later on when you need it to really think about what these changes are. And that's where a lot of this is coming from of people not stopping and being mindful of what we're talking about, because we're all being very raw about this. Mm -hmm. So that's the mindfulness. And I think that's where FDR was saying, take a breath and just really think about the bedrock that we need to keep under ourselves. And change is good, but change is not sweeping necessarily uh, right now because we've already had that. So let's fix it, but but not just completely dismantle it or change it drastically.
2: So somebody does that make more sense? I think it does. I think I could hear some people listening from certain political viewpoints saying it sounds mm-hmm. like you're biased against one one political movement right now. <laughs> but I, I but that could be wrong, but I don't want it for the person listening. I want to be able to speak for them.
0: No, I I am I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not biased. I'm saying <laughs> that I, I want to make sure that we see all that everybody sees everything that's going on. And I am for some change. Like I said, I'm not biased against change. I'm biased against bad, you know, people not understand seeing the whole picture because that's part of what I talk to people about in my everyday political life is I try to explain what this change means and what that change means. Maybe you didn't realize that this effect, that there's a cause and effect here. So we should do this, but you shouldn't do all of that. Um, And that should be on either side.
2: Yeah. And I want to be very clear. We're all biased in Mm -hmm. political. I have my, my political bias and we all do. Uh, what now I have to be, be fair. I'm also trying to steer clear of the show being biased. I want people from all sides, people, especially in this topic, (laughs) be able to be able to discuss this from a viewpoint of, Hey, I want to feel included and not feel left out by, by where we take it. And so let's go there into the aspect of no matter where you're coming from, how do you own your bias, your stress, your emotion, your annoyance, your frustration with not feeling like people you love and care about get you or you don't get them? Or how do I have a conversation with that family member who I know is going to take the conversation, or at least I have a I have a bias racket story in my head, whatever you want to call it, who's going to take this into a conversation I am not going to enjoy. But yet I want to have the conversation on some level with them. Should I just not have it? Should I have it? How do we go to those places?
0: So when I'm sitting at those tables, I have two, two different viewpoints when I get into a conversation or not. One is I will just sit back and listen and probably not comment at all, because there are times when you understand that there is really isn't anything you can say. It's just what it is in the conversation. But my favorite conversations to have are when somebody says, so if we do this, what does that mean? and explain to me why you think this is this should not be this way or should be this way, and what is the outcome of that? And if I can say it and then they'll answer me with what they think their outcome is, that's the best kind of conversation to have to me, Because usually you can find a middle ground there. And, and, I, and I have to say a lot of it comes from a factual basis. So as long mm-hmm. as people have their facts, and I like to prove things, I'm very much research-oriented, and, I, you know, even on social media, I hardly ever post anything without backing it up with some sort of research article uh, I have a lot of annotations and even my Facebook posts.
2: Well, I, lo- I love the idea that you're asking them, well, what would be the what's the hopeful outcome of that? Because that does allow you to have an, a, a conversation that's based on hope, right? What's the hopeful outcome of that? And then based on their answer, whoever that is, you can think about, OK, well, how does that impact this group or how does that impact? And you can ask them, how do you perceive that? impacting this group or that group and allows you to have an honest conversation of discovery and that really really is important what about the part that we hold in ourselves about, you know, you read something on Facebook that bothers you and there's these two sides where people say, well, I'm just unfriending everybody. I'm unfriending everybody that says something I don't like. And people are going, that's my right, which clearly it is your right. It's Facebook. You can do whatever you want. It's your social media. You you can do whatever you want with it. But there are a lot of people going, well, I don't like that approach because I still like seeing the other stuff of my family members that that I do love seeing about them, how their kids are doing, all of this. And I know this is a loving person who I just very much may disagree with how they view the world or this situation, but I know there's a good person at heart. How do I myself deal with what at the beginning there, Allison? You brought up that drama, that stress, these preconceived emotions that are coming in every time I see these comments. Do do I need to call them out loud and go, "Wow, I am not being, I'm not coming from a place of love every time I see that person's name on Facebook." How how do we start that?
0: I have a funny way of dealing with that. Whereas <laughs> I am not afraid to use my delete key, and I've had those conversations offline where my my brother, let's say it's my brother, will post a bunch of things just, just to get to me. He doesn't even do it because he thinks he's right. He just does it to see what I'll do. And of course, I'll delete it because I don't want to have that particular conversation. And then I'll get a text. So now we've got, you know, gone (laughs) private. (laughs) So since the beginning of the internet and bulletin boards and all of the ways people communicate, I've never really been afraid to use my delete key. Mm. Um, And that's basically because I don't necessarily want to block people unless they're just outwardly mean or they're just abusive. I generally Mm. don't just delete people. They get a lot of chances, but they also have to understand sometimes I just walk it back.
2: Well, and what you mentioned there is a bit of trolling. Let's be call it what it is. It, yeah. If what you're yeah, saying yeah. is he's posting it on your wall because you're able to delete it, that is just messing with people. the mess with people when you do that, because it's one thing if I post it on my wall because I want it's something I believe in. When I post it on someone else's wall, I'm going into your home and telling mm-hmm. you, yeah. uh, right? I'm posting something in your home that is a different animal. There, for instance, I'm a big believer, and if somebody posts things that, that I just find to be almost hurtful in the way they post. Mm-hmm. I'm going to unfollow, but not unfriend.
0: And I do that too. And I block some, you know, I just don't even want to see the post from somebody. Right.
2: So if you unfollow, you don't see post, right. but you can right. still look on their page and see how their family's doing and all of that. And I know people right. listening right now going, well, geez, it sounds like you, you can't take it. You, no, it's not that you can't take seeing that. It's that you don't need to, there's enough right. things in the world that you don't mm-hmm. need this mm-hmm. negative energy that just doesn't align with you. And I think that's the word here. Does it align with, with what you believe in and leading with love and compassion? So how do the two of you feel that we should really, how do you tackle this issue? And tackle is the wrong word, right? Because there's a fight right there. <laughs> but how do you address this issue of dealing with this world of, you know, opposite viewpoints and people so emotional about it? One thought
3: I have is, I mean, I do think it's important to discern, like you were saying, trolling or something like that, or even like, you know, around the holidays, I was talking to some friends about like, how are they going to sit down with their parents and know that there was going to be conflict. And some of what people have shared with me, and certainly what I see a lot of online is stuff that's baiting, it's, it's attacking, it's belittling. Um, and I think to be able to discern what's the difference between that versus something that just gets under our skin or something that we disagree with. Um, or something that's upsetting to us. And so to be able to discern the difference, and I, I think, yeah, absolutely, the belittling, the could be abusive of being like, I don't need to prove myself to this person. I don't need to engage in this person because fundamentally, they are probably not going to be respectful and not actually listen to my side. So it's not' as, it's not worth giving my energy one, my energy to listen to them and two, of actually opening yourself up because if you genuinely sit and want to listen to someone else, if you ask someone else, like, well, what are your values on this and why does this matter? Like, there's a vulnerability in doing that with someone else and opening yourself in that way. And if that person's not going to be respectful, then I think, yeah, that's where we are choosy about where then we focus on self-compassion, you know, versus compassion for others.
2: Well, I think you bring up a great point there, which is, We need to be asking ourselves, am I asking for a debate? Like the way I'm talking right now, the way I'm posting, am I almost prodding? Am I almost poking the bear here looking for a debate just to bring drama to my life so I can fight with someone? Because there, that happens. We've all done it at some point in our life, whether passive aggressive or not, this idea of I'm going to post something. And I know that's going to spark a few people, but let's roll, you know, that, that kind of a, (laughs) that kind of an approach, which you have to stop and go, why am I wanting to post? Like, what's the purpose here? Right. And so what's the intention and where's, I think the good question you brought up earlier was to ask somebody, what do you hope is going to be the outcome of that? And say it from a genuine viewpoint, right? Because tone is yeah. everything. Tone is everything. If mm-hmm. I'm sitting across the table from you and I go, well, what do you hope the outfits, you know, what in the world do you think is going to come out of that? Well, we're mm-hmm. in a debate already. But if I'm like, well, that's interesting, what do you hope comes out of that if they put that legislation through? Or they, like, what's the goal there? That's a right. very different question simply by tone. Simply by tone. But on Facebook, there's no tone. On Twitter, there's no, you, no tone. You can't tell. And so we have to be careful of understanding there's no tone. So all that, all that I have is my words.
0: I always have a saying that I use because again, I I come from politics and I talk to people all the time and I have people that I ask to carry a message or even, and and it can apply to business, but my favorite saying to people right at the outset for them to know what I'm thinking is, I don't know what I don't know that you know. (laughs) <laughs> and I hate to go, you know. If you go back, that comes from Donald Rumsfeld, and when all that came up. But I've always kept it because I never know what I, what you don't, what you know until you tell me. So it's amazing if you keep talking to somebody, they'll tell you what it is, what their process is, and what they're thinking. Because you don't always know, you know. Again, you 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 can't tell until they tell you. And if it's worth pursuing, because like you're saying, there's some things that you're just baiting, and it's not worth pursuing because. It's never going to come to anything and you're just looking to argue. But then there's times when someone will say something and you just that, that goes back to why is it you think that or do you really know what it is that they are going to do? And then you don't realize that they may not understand all of it or they see something in it that you didn't. So I try to talk to people as much as possible so I can see where we're where we're all coming from and if we're all on the same page or if one person has different information than I have that's really important. If you're going to go that far with it.
2: Is there a way to create uh, that either of you have found effective, a safer space for these conversations, whether they be social media in person? Like I, I know that I have friends on Facebook that clearly everything they post is, there's no doubt where they stand. No doubt everything. And I think because they are so consistent that, they don't get the trollers because the trollers have wa- left them. They've unfriended mm-hmm. them or they've unfollowed them because they know that person's not swaying that way uh, as far as that we they're not going to engage them. Is it that that there's beacons if you're good, if you want to be strongly opinion, you want to share be consistent and know that this could people could argue back cuz you're being strongly opinion, they could strongly bring back strong opinions or or should it just be a place of The lesson is that this isn't the place for social media to engage. It can be a place to share similar feelings, but then be prepared. It might not be the place to do that if you're highly sensitive to disagreement.
3: Well, I think there's not just one. like So the the path of being consistent in your message doesn't necessarily have to be consistency around one political stance. I also think because... I've seen some folks do this, that they are consistently, so you may, like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a sex educator and, and a sociologist and all, and so I definitely tend to being way more um, progressive and liberal, and so that's a lot of my friends. I've seen some of them strike a balance so that they are consistent while they are progressive. They're also questioning and challenging. They're also consistently compassionate or consistently kind, or consistently aware or bringing mindfulness to it. So while their views maybe, it's more, I think they get less trolls, I think specifically because they're kind and they're thoughtful. And so even though someone might disagree with their views, actually, this has happened a couple times recently, like it happened like a month ago on my page, somebody was like, you know what, I don't like what you did there. And part of the reason is I have so much respect for you and how you do present things and your awareness around it. And someone else recently just called me like, well, you're not that political on Facebook or something. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> I feel like I'm ridiculously political. But I think it was they meant that I'm not like, I mean, and I, I use anger as a tool and I think it's the appropriate tool to use, but I don't use that as my go-to. And I don't want to bait people because I am not interested in that. I'm interested in like critical thinking and thoughtful responses, even if it's from views that I disagree with, like that helps me think outside the box, So I think, yeah, just because you mentioned, like, is that how you avoid getting trolls or something like that? But I think there's multiple ways of going around it. And I do think mindfulness and that folks trust you in your consistency around that, maybe a mindfulness with critical thinking and turning it back on ourselves. And like, you know, and myself and my views, I think that, I mean, I think that's a very powerful route to take. And that can sort of sometimes bridge, bridge the conversations.
0: I was actually recently saying to somebody, I've said this a couple of times in the last few weeks, that I wonder if I don't have as many friends as I thought, as I used to have, because nobody, I don't have any trolls really left anymore. (laughs) I think that Mike completely hit on it on consistency, because I am extremely (laughs) consistent, mainly because that's just what I'm what I'm supposed to do is be consistent in my views and make sure that I point things out. But I don't have a, you know, I said, I know that I delete things, but it happens very rarely. And the last time it really happened in any depth was I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth with somebody who just wouldn't let up. And then I finally said, okay, I can't do anything about this anymore. I have to leave this conversation. And right after that, I got another post from their sister-in-law who said, I apologize, that was my brother-in-law and he never lets up on me and it looks like he found you and you lasted an incredibly long time. <laughs> uh, but I never he never did it again, you know? Well, and, and you
2: bring up some great points about the consistency and you, we've talked about leading with that compassion and love. And so does there, does there beg a moment of, are we taking a moment of meditation or mindfulness to evaluate mm-hmm. how we are? having these discussions on a daily basis. Do we think in our daily practice mindfulness, how am I engaging with differing views in the world? How am I engaging with differing views on social media and really listening to the possibilities of how we're projecting versus how we assume we are, how we're being heard, how we're being read. If it's a case of a post do both, do either of you engage in that or do you know of people who do and have found that to be helpful?
3: I do. Absolutely. Um, in, That I try not, I mean, and that's one of the biggest dangers of social media is that we can just tweet or post or something out of, like, when we're in the midst of big emotions that we don't, that we're not necessarily being responsible around, and then we can put it out there to the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so that without... um, Right, without pausing, without pausing to take a deep breath, without pausing to be like, okay, what? So I'm like super triggered by this. Like, what's my role in that? Um, and like, and what, you know, why, why does this matter to me? And then what, what's my purpose? What's my purpose with this tweet or this post? Um, am I, am I, am I just angry and I'm trying to vent? Um, am I trying to find solidarity? Right? Am I trying to bait people? You know, or am I like genuinely worried and concerned about something? Am I trying to be a source for education? Like, there's so many motivations, and to at least reflect, like, what's yeah, what's 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 triggering me here, and what are the emotions, and then what's my motivation on this post?
2: Yeah, I think that's huge because, for instance, Jen, you're a sex educator. You you will relate to this all the way. And then in my line of work, I work with every every side of the political spectrum are my clients and in it's very vital to some of their jobs, the the political viewpoint. So uh, in the field of of sexuality, I deal with people who are abstinence only, and that's the only way to teach. Mm -hmm. And I, and I deal with comprehensive in-depth sex educators, both Mm -hmm. bringing me into work. And into their communities, into their, and, and they're all my friends on Facebook. And so who can have very differing views on these topics. And a friend of mine once taught me this and I've never forgotten it. They go, all right, Mike, let's say you post that one, what could appear to be very biased viewpoint. And now that whole community is uh, views you so much differently that you no longer have the chance to spread what you care most about to the to their world. Was it worth it? Just so you could post that? Now there's a value there in that do you censor to work to work with certain people. But there's and lose also your
3: integrity. Yeah.
2: But there that was the point that we discussed. Are you losing integrity if the purpose of the post was not needed? Mm. that's yeah. where there's a difference. You're not losing integrity. In my opinion, you're not losing integrity. If you were going to post something that was not necessary and that could have done harm, right? And versus something that you think if you don't post that you are doing harm, like you, by holding back, you are not speaking out and harm could be done. You know, in other words, you're being silent while others are being harmed. That's a different situation, right? We teach bias intervention, so you better live it, right? So same thing there. But we're talking about where you could be posting something that when you really look at it, it's not going to change anybody's mind one way or the other, but it could do harm. And, and that's been a great test for me is to say, this post, what's the purpose? Is it going to sway one way or the other if that's what I'm trying to do? And could it do harm? And if it could do harm, what kind of harm and why? So it really makes a assess. Look, if I'm on stage and I say something that could help half the room but harm a fifth of the room, my job is not Mm -hmm. to do harm. So I have to find a better way to word that. I got to find a better way to word that so I I can still help half the room and not harm the one-fifth.
3: Well, I guess, I mean, what this comes down to is what is harm also? I mean, because that, you know, does somebody's feelings get hurt? Did somebody's views get hurt? You know, was somebody disempowered? Like that's such a, I guess, you know, what does that mean? And how much responsibility can we take for what's going on in everybody else's heads (laughs) that we only have a certain amount of control over and we, you know, we don't have control over what their backgrounds are, their views are. So, I mean, that's a, that's just a really loaded, that's a loaded question.
0: That's tough. That's the you don't know what you don't know. Right, right.
2: <laughs> that's correct. Um, yeah, it is. No, yeah. it is. And <laughs> and that's where you have to step back and go, am I acknowledging I don't know what I don't know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I find that it, when I'm speaking, first I find because of the nature of some of my work, I don't, I, I usually, I have a three second thought of, well, what I post, am I okay if what I post shows up in the newspaper, right? That's how public, I keep everything public. And so you think about it that way. But the other thing is when I'm doing, like where you say, where you speak to a room full of people, I usually try to explain, I, I try to be very neutral. I know that they call it political correctness and there are people even who take issue with that. But you, you just have to couch it by saying, it's everybody, and I'm not excluding anybody, and this is really just, it, it I'm not doing this to exclude anybody. This is just a way something could happen, or this, again, this is, this is what could the outcome could be, but please just take this information into account, you know, mm. and that's how I try to preface a lot of, socially and also when I'm speaking, to groups, is that I'm not here to exclude anybody it's just that these happen to be the way things work or they could work that way
2: well i i love the idea though what you said about the newspaper and i would even blow it up a little bit large larger and say what if this was on the front page in when i think newspaper i want to think what if it was on the new york times what if it was on the washington post what if it right. and this was associated as my brand not only that's was it in the I'm paper, about, yeah. right? You're right, exactly. And this is how my brand was associated. This was printed my name, and everybody associate my brand with it. Would I be Would I be thrilled with that? I think that's a great point you're making. It's a beautiful point about, especially posting. when
0: you're a public, yeah, when you're a public figure, which I know. I think all three of us probably are in one way mm-hmm. or another. And I do that all the time, is that I just wonder, how would this look? And, and we're seeing it now. You know, tweets do not go away ever. It doesn't matter what you do. They do not go away. Everything is always going to be out there. And I'm not saying that over the years. I haven't done something that I said, ah, oh, and I've deleted it and then said, well, it's If it comes back, it comes back, you know, but it's never been something too terrible. It's just been, again, (laughs) it's not something I wanted my brand to be known for, you know, but it wasn't a terrible, horrifying thing.
2: Sure. And I know some people right now listening could be thinking, well, geez, it's, it sounds like a a place of fear. I don't want to, I don't want to have people. No, it's not a place of fear. You know what it is? It's really a place of thinking. Am I being, this goes back to compassion. We have to have compassion for ourselves. We also have to compassion for those Look, if we're trying to make a difference in the world, you're you're not making a difference by talking to only like-minded people who already agree with what you're thinking. There's really no difference in that conversation. You know what that is? That's consoling, that's unifying, that's comforting. That doesn't mean change is occurring. The, the people that you would hope maybe their transformation is going to happen, both for you and for them, are the ones with different opinions. And so it's having compassion for that different opinion, which can be tough. But I love what you said there about same thing. Would I talk this way to this person if it was being broadcast? If this was on the NBC Nightly News and I was being filmed, is this the way I would want to project myself in a, in a way of compassion, not of do I want to look good? There's that's a whole different right. conversation versus is this a place of compassion you two have led this to a wonderful conversation what i love I'm, this has been a messy conversation today uh, <laughs> and it, it right it has and that <laughs> I think it's yep. very, very much. And everything
0: in- we've said can be broadcast everywhere. Yeah. <laughs>
2: and it is right now. That's right. <laughs> but it shows just how difficult this is. And there's no one answer to this conversation. So I want to thank both of you for such a great conversation. Are there books or are there resources or shows that you watch that if you have found helpful during this, what people would call chaotic political environment for, for a while now, by the way, I'm not just referring, you know, while we're recording this in 2017, this has been existing for a while. And so is there something you have found helpful for anyone listening that they could look at or read or dive into?
3: Well, I, and I'm so glad for the timing of it. Last fall, I took an eight week class called Cultivating Compassion. And it was led by the founder of a nonprofit called Compassionate that she teaches these classes. Um, But there are, you know, folks around the country that might teach them. But like that helped me really ground myself in compassion for myself, um, compassion in others, just as sitting with my suffering and sitting with the suffering of others and not being afraid of that as much, and which built a resiliency in me to be able to stay present through uncomfortable things. Check out our website. She's got a lot of great resources, this nonprofit. And so it's, it's not compassionate, the normal word, it's compassion, and then a separate word, IT. So it's making an action, you know. It's making it like a verb and an action of moving through the world and compassioning, compassion (laughs) iting. No, no, graceful.
2: We'll make sure that that's put in the show notes, so anybody who's (laughs) listening right now can can go to the site it and definitely find that.
0: I took a class, and it's a complete one hundred and eighty from what uh, Jennifer was just talking about. But one of the greatest classes I've ever taken had to do with being able to talk to people about counter viewpoints and understanding where they're coming from. Not necessarily in a compassionate way, but more of a understanding really what it was that that was driving them. It was called Irrational Behavior. And it was written by, it was done at Duke University at one of those Coursera courses that you can do online. And it was by Dan Ariely. I don't know yes. if you know him. He's a behavior scientist. Yes, I and love he's a social He's a social scientist, and he deals a lot with economic behavior, which when you hear the term, you don't think that that applies to actually just what makes people do what they do. Because you think it's about money, and it's not. It's about people's reactions to things and what drives them. You know, it comes back, there's a big, I've seen a lot, one of his ex- explanations, which was an old study, which is the jam test. You know, if you give someone three types of jam at the supermarket, they'll normally buy something if they like jam. They'll take one of them. But if you make it 15, they'll walk away because it's too many choices. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it has to do with behavior. But if you real, it's helped me tremendously in understanding or trying to understand what is motivating people to make the decisions that they're making or have the arguments that they have. And I don't mean arguing with you. I mean, their point of view as their argument. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. That's brilliant. Yeah. Irrational behavior has saved me many, many times.
2: (laughs) Very cool. Well, I want to thank you both because it's been a fun, I mean, we've, like we said, we've gone all over on this and I think that's, that is politics, right? It can, it can do that. So thank you both for, for being on today.
3: Yeah. Thank, thank you. you, you. This
2: thank you. Great. Important conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm, we're happy to have this conversation. And for everyone listening right now, you can check out Jen and Allison and our brilliant cast at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Several people, by the way, have free downloads that they've given resources on these conversations. You can download at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And until next time, may you enjoy everyday mindfulness in your life. Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks.
1: We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.